Hey gang, welcome to episode 135 of the No Pristinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters here in Los Angeles and heading out to you all around the world. This week on the show, we've got uh, an LA hometown favorite, Safehouse 77, Nick Reinwald Jones and Lindsay Scoggin, who are part of the creative team there, Nick being the creator, Lindsay being the creative producer, are coming in to talk about the remount of the show. That's right, Safehouse is coming back. You heard it here first, and the announcements are going to be dropping, 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 dropping over the weekend and into the next week as these things do. But yeah, there we go. Break some news for you. Ha ha. That's what we do here. Um, the coffee is working and uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Before we do the usual, I want to draw your attention to our friends over at Artist Real Talk Podcast. That would be the the yeah. <laughs> that'd be Jacob Patterson and company. Um, they're popping out with their second season. Uh, it's it's just starting to drop now. They've got a banger for their sixteenth episode, uh, their first real episode of season two. That would be Meow Wolf CEO Vince Kadlubeck and also his buddy Hugh Mead uh, talk with both Jacob and Jesse. This was during the weekend of the Immersive Design Summit. And uh, I'm looking forward to listening to it. It just just dropped yesterday. Haven't had time to listen to it yet. But uh, I know that everyone was charged up during IDS. And a little bit later that day, uh, Jacob, Tommy Haunton, and I sat down in the lovely SF Hyatt uh, over some drinks and my terrible, terrible, terrible bout of the flu. And we recorded a podcast there in the bar, which you'll be able to hear, I think, next week. I tried to pull an excerpt for this section to give you like a teaser. Um, but it's kind of a, a free flowing rambling conversation shock. Uh, but imagine a free flowing rambling conversation where, uh, I'm sick, exhausted and, uh, liquored up. So there you go. Um, if you ever want to hear, <laughs> if you want to hear the most after dark, after dark, no pro imaginable, that's basically next week's uh, episode of ART artist, real talk. Uh, you can get it. Um, you know, if, I mean, honestly, if you don't know how to get a podcast, uh, how are you listening to this right now? It's a miracle. Uh, we'll put some links up in, in the usual stuff. There we go. We need, we need, need to give a major shout out to our Patreon backers, patreon.com slash because all of you are making a massive difference in how we approach this. Um, we're going to be doing a big campaign uh, towards the end of February through March. Um, so get ready for that. We're going to need your help on that, both uh, both in terms of like, you know, uh, drop a little money off if you haven't, but even more so getting word out. Um, because this is the year that uh, we really turn this around in, in a massive fashion. And that's already started. Thanks to all of you. Here's the roll call of the folks who have jumped in uh, since we last checked in. Oliver Lejade, Jack Gautreau, Blake Hodges, Ryan Snow, Alexis Garcia, and Danielle Levesque. 
I'm sure I butchered someone's name, if not a few people's names. So please email me, Noah at noprosinium.com, and I will say your name again. That's how that's how you get it twice. Um, they everyone's jumped in. Um, this past month we added 13 people uh, and a hundred bucks a month. Uh, we're over seven hundred dollars now. Uh, the goal, uh, the next goal is going to be um, to to double. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're facing uh, Los Angeles in particular is facing a, a journalism crisis. Uh, so, arts journalism. <laughs> Good luck. Um, there's so much we can do with this platform. There's so much we can do if uh, if No Pro was a, a company, if it was a, a full time job for myself, for Catherine, um, or at least a part time job uh, for Catherine, for Anthony, uh, for Jessica. Uh, I'd like to get us there, um, but in this day and age, that only happens through this kind of quasi public media model. Anyway, that's enough about this right now. Big talk about that a couple of weeks from now. You're always saying that, Noah. Yeah, no, but seriously, um, we're we're working on it. Like, we're actually working on it, not just saying we're working on it. The sustaining backers for No Persinium, of course, are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, Ian Budman, Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstand, and Lonnie Hanson. Thank you all, gentlemen, for uh, jumping in at the absurd level. Um, Patreon.com slash No Persinium. That's how you join the fun. Uh, we're going to get to the interview in a second here, which was done in the lovely safe house. But uh, I just want to flag what we're going to talk about afterwards. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Town Hall and Leia and how that went and what it's all about. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll do that when we when we come back after the interview. Here's what you should know right now. Uh, Nick Reinwald Jones uh, reached out to me um over just over a year ago, I guess. Gosh, really? Yeah. We get in the timeline a little bit during the interview. Um, and he just, he, he had an idea, uh, a, you know, about a, a, an immersive show that he wanted to make, uh, the things he wanted to, to mash up. We'll describe safe house in a minute. And then over the course of that year, just, you know, went at it, recruited some of the best immersive actors in Los Angeles, folks who had worked with Annie Lesser, uh, folks like Terrence LeClaire and Caitlin Schiller, um, you know Carly Blair, who who writes for us sometimes. Disclosure: She's in the show, um, and and just put together what's been a really crowd pleasing work in a year when there was a lot of dark stuff um, in a in in a time when we're all kind of depressed. Uh, it was wonderful to have this funky, fun sort of game gamey feeling uh you know house party uh that involved you know strong drinks and fondue um i'm i'm so proud of what nick's managed to put together and um not not because you know i had some part in it uh that's not at all um i did for nick what i try and do for everybody in the space which is you know recap the things I've learned so far by observing. That's that's what we do here. Uh, and Nick's been game to, to help out others, and um, it's been great. And, you know, people have opened up. Um, you know, I know the Speakeasy Society let him in on some rehearsal processes, and it's just been, it's been wonderful. Like, Safe House is sort of kind of... Uh, 
kind of the the child we all raise together, right? The whole it takes a village thing, that's that's how Safe House sometimes feels. Uh, and uh, what's been great is seeing the the community here in LA really enjoy it, um, just, just as a, a fun night. Um, all right, that's enough of a rambly intro for you. Uh, oh, you know, what's it about? Well, I mean, this is, this is the thing, like, I don't want to give away too much, but it's a house party set in the 1970s, and um, you may or may not be recruited into a spy ring as part of it, and the characters may or may not be slightly based on some famous musicians of the era. There you go. That's, that's what you should know about Safe House 77. And now, uh, here's our interview with Nick Reinwald-Jones and Lindsay Scoggin. <laughs> Nick, here we are in the safe house. Yes, the safe house. The safe house. Titular Um, house. This time out, I've got Nick and Lindsay, both from Safe House, Nick being the creator and Lindsay, the creative producer. And we are here. Well, where are we right now? Like, we're in the safe house, but what, what... what room are we in at the moment? We are in, well, I guess this would be the living room slash... Uh, the main room. The main, yeah. I mean, it's not a very big <laughs> That's house. That's what we call so it. There's, <laughs> yeah, well, we, I mean, in the script, it is room one. So <laughs> we can call it that. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's not a very big house. There's one one big room and a few smaller rooms, and we're in the big room. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, because, you know, well, I mean, it's not just people in Los Angeles who listen to the show, what is Safe House 77? Uh, well, I like to describe it as a cross between a 70s Los Angeles house party and a spy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is fully interactive. Uh, you, you come as a party guest, and you get roped into some... Perhaps uh, intriguing espionage-related things, but it's also still a house party, and you have fun. You have drinks and mingle and get flirted with, and hopefully a, a mixture of uh, everything you want in a '70s LA immersive show. You've been talking about this for as long as I've known you, uh, pretty much. Well, I met you shortly after I came up with the idea. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so that's, <laughs> um, which, 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 what is it that's going on? Almost going on two years now, right? Uh, well, it was so it was You're... fall of 2016. Okay. That I saw my first immersive shows in New York, and then came back and said, "I think I'm going to try to do one of those because I'm crazy." Right. Uh, and then tracked you down and said, "How do I do this?" So <laughs> that must have been a fast turnaround, like from tracking, from seeing the shows to tracking you down. I think it must have been like a month, month and a half. Or something uh, it was. Like it was yeah. more like two weeks, I think. Okay. <laughs> I literally, I, I literally came back from LA, started my notes on Safe House seventy seven. I mean, to Elliot, started my notes on Safe House 77, like, uh, about 10 days after I saw Then She Fell, which was my first one. And so the wheels were already turning. And, okay. Yeah. Um, and now this is going to be your second run. So you, you completed yes. a run uh, back in this past fall, uh, ran through December, right? So you guys opened up in November. It was, yeah, basically the month of November. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now you're going to come back for another dip. Um, let's talk about putting this show together. Um so let's start with Lindsay. How did how did you get roped in, and, and what's your role in the production? Um, so, well, Nick actually made a post about looking for producers, so that was just something that I responded to. And um, when we talked, um, you know, obviously I was very interested in working in immersive theater, but I had only actually worked doing, like, helping freelance work with escape rooms and stuff like that. 
um, but really, really wanted to work in the theater world. And um, it being both of our first productions, I think we were both like, you know, I think we both like, like kind of have this vision for, for what, what immersive kind of theater can can be combined with the gamification part of it and yeah we both geeked out over then she fell <laughs> but yeah we, we geeked both, out we spoke so the same much and, yeah. <laughs> and um so he brought me on to work on the creative end of things and I did work in theater previously so um that helped as well but yeah I mean for to, to begin with I really wanted I needed someone outside of myself to just mm-hmm. share ideas with about is this going to work for a show like these are ideas about characters mm-hmm. and story and like they're kind of unformed but what do you think and and to have like Lindsay there from pretty much the very beginning to start weighing in on things and give her opinion and everything like that's really how we it started becoming just a thing inside my head to an actual thing because uh, we were working on it together so she went from idea idea stage i mean there's so many different approaches Mm -hmm. to making an immersive i wonder if you could like walk us a little through what the oh let's let's kind of roll back i mean a little bit of what the product is first in order to like get a sense of what the how the process led us there. So you've talked about interactivity, um, you you know, that that it is a, a piece of theater, so it's you know, it's actor based is is a big thing. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about just, you know, the the delivery of the narrative through through the performance in the structure. Sure. Well I mean speak the 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 big thing that I took away from the shows that I really enjoyed and that Lindsay really enjoyed was the idea of having multiple tracks and that the story would be told to you through whatever track you were on. There would be overlap, but everyone would sort of get their own show. And we really wanted that from the beginning, and uh, I, th- I think that's an important part of, of what Safe House is, is that uh, you come in, you don't know what you're going to get, but you are you end up being kind of with a character or characters for most of the show. And that's how you, that's how the narrative is kind of filtered to you. And everyone has sort of a different perspective on what's going on, but there is a master narrative that's going on that will affect you no matter what. So uh, you are, I, I think most of the difference in the tracks is the point of view of the characters that you're seeing it through. Um, and, so we uh, we really tried to create distinct characters that would have different uh, points of view on life and on the story and and uh, on how they would behave in the spy world and everything. And uh, I think that that to me is is what makes this show and a lot of other shows special is that uh, it, it was just the process of figuring out you know what is what is the story going to be and then. How are we going to make that distinct across all of these tracks while keeping it consistent? Well, we're not so that if I am talking to you after we've seen the show, it's not like we saw two different shows. We saw different aspects of the same show and, you know, what you experienced will be relevant to me and what I experienced will be relevant to you. It won't be like we, you know, lived these completely separate uh, timelines, but um, everything kind of fills in a piece of the overall narrative and the uh how it's it's only really once you get to the end that you see how it all kind of ties together and then uh hopefully everyone enjoys kind of sharing what their individual experience was and that adds up to some kind of whole when you when you were building this did you 
did the, you talked about bouncing ideas off of Lindsay and, and, and working out that way. Did you start with a script? I know you're a, a writer by trade. Oh, no, Lindsay's shaking your head. So. <laughs> I sort of started with a script, but it wasn't really, I mean, it was... It was a concept, yeah. I think, more than anything. Like but... a treatment or... Yeah, I mean, sort of just, I mean, like, the very first steps were just kind of vomiting out ideas of, like, what could this possibly be? What do I like in other shows? What do I like in other mediums? What are things I would want to see in an immersive show regardless right. of... Right, also you know, dealing with that, we were working with something that was spy-themed, and what are some of the expectations that go along with working with that thematically, because it yeah. was kind of so different from what we've seen in other immersive shows. So. Yeah, how do you bring the elements that we like in spy movies into this? And how do you make that interactive and meaningful and everything? And how, like, what... I mean, it's it was in a lot of ways, like what, well, what is the spy version of Then She Fell or that type of show where it really, it, it feels that personal and meaningful to you, but also has this very genre element to it. And it was kind of figuring out how to straddle that line. And like, like I said, come up with really distinct characters, but also a setting that, um, that to me, I really, I always wanted it to feel like pop culture, which I don't think that's a given in immersive theater. A lot of it is much more art-based or theater-based. And I, being a completely non-theater person, <laughs> came to it from a more like movie and TV and all of that world. And uh, so I, I was really interested in seeing like how we could deliver what people like in immersive theater, but also really feeling like a piece of pop culture. When approaching that desire, was it how, how much of the the working out the show was you and Lindsay sitting down talking out ideas writing up stuff kind of kind of paper paper checking it in your head and how much of it was really started to go once you had actors to ca in the cast and were and were working through things that way like is this a is this a workshop mm -hmm. show that was devised or is this a Okay, you guys are not in your head. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, it's it, it. I mean, how much did how much did that change what you were expecting to get? I mean, I like I did a lot of work on the show before I brought in Lindsay. Lindsay and I did mm -hmm. a lot of work on the show before we brought in actors. Right, and, but, and even then, by the time we brought in actors, then, it was yeah. still we called it a workshop phase. Yeah, because we really wanted to actually create this collaborative environment. Um, I mean, as you know, there was some of the actors who had worked in immersive and had more experience than both of us, and. Um, we we wanted their ideas on things and everything. So even when we did get the actors involved, it was still kind of in a workshop phase before anything ended up being solidified, which I think ended up working out in our favor because by that point, we kind of knew the strengths of our actors and we got to know their personalities more and um, were able to... Nick was, when he wrote the script, the, the final script, was able to kind of cater it to what the actors were best at. Yeah, and we really, um, I think by the end of it, the actors truly had an investment in it because they came to the show, you know, being told, like, this is this is our idea of what we want the show to be. We don't really know what the show is yet. We're going to figure it out now that we have you. Mm -hmm. And so they, they all got to see the show evolve from this very, uh, you know, amorphous thing into something solid that they really had a hand in uh, helping to create. So I think that... I think that really shows in the engagement of the actors and in how the show feels because everyone really had a piece in making it. 
is the show that you have the show you thought you'd have when you started the process or or is it is it something different oddly enough i'd say it's actually it's more similar to what i imagined initially than i expected it to be uh we went down a lot of detours a lot of side roads and a lot of like we we basically developed an entirely different show like once we had the actors we were rehearsing a show that looks nothing like the show that you have seen mm. or anyone else has seen um it would not have worked <laughs> and Lindsay was the first one to point that out <laughs> To very much to her credit, but um, because I the the kind of the idea that I had in mind initially, I I I, I tend to do this with creative stuff is like, well, it that that felt good at first, but then it was like, oh, is that going to be enough? Is that going to be too simple? Is that going to be too basic? We need to add all these wrinkles to it to make it more interesting. Mm. And then I think it really wasn't until we until I I trusted working with the actors and everything and seeing like, well. Even even with something that is that is sort of uh, basic and maybe a little bit even a little bit obvious in terms of like what you would expect from like a spy story, um, it really plays because we have these distinct personalities in the mix and the characters have been developed so well because the actors have been involved in that and just yeah, you know yeah. all of the kind of specificity that we've been able to put into it. Yeah, it was interesting because fairly early on in the process, like some of our first attempts at creating something, it, it was it, it was a it was what we were trying to create was so complex and it ended up being like pulling back on some of those elements that added so much more to the experience. What was the moment when you knew you had to start cutting things? Was there some there's some specific moment where you're like, oh yeah, no, that's not gonna work anymore. So there was a there was a point where I was sending all of the actors this very complex guide to like, okay, these are all the levels of reality in this show that you need to be aware of. And uh, you went you went meta. So you yeah. went meta because we were dealing yeah. with you know people being undercover with things and like maybe maybe what was happening yeah. wasn't the reality of something. We were gonna have this like. This reveal that that the people you thought you were getting to know weren't really yeah. those people. Yeah, there was this and... <laughs> idea of like, this is how it's presented to the audience. This is what you as a character think is going on. This is what's really going on. This is what's like. Right. And we were going to be revealing all this. And, <laughs> and then, it got so complicated and, that yeah. we couldn't even understand what we <laughs> yeah, were Yeah, and that's and Lindsay like sent me an email. She was like, yeah, this isn't working. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at first I was... There's like no 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 it can work it can work it can work and then I <laughs> but I made all these like, nesting dolls yeah, yeah exactly you know? and I then, got a truck of them so we yeah. could sell afterwards <laughs> it makes sense if there aren't nesting dolls yeah. and um, but it was it was really a process of like me very much like learning what you can do and not do in immersive theater and there were I mean I'm not gonna say that none of these would ever work in an immersive show but. I think there was there was definitely an element where I was trying to have way too many scenes that involved the audience just kind of sitting still and paying attention while things were going mm. on. And I think especially in this space, that's not what you want. You want oh, to be yeah, moving yeah. around. You want to be part of the action and everything. And there were there was there was some of that, but there was a lot of just like, okay, this important thing is going to happen. Everyone needs to just watch it, and that's right. Which I think I think was too against some of the goals that we had set early on, which was yeah. we wanted it to feel kind of like something that was actually just kind of happening. Um, right. Even you know, even though they're transported back in time, we still wanted it to be real time. We wanted it to feel like it was actually happening. And when it was just kind of this, this scenario where you're still playing that audience member and while there might not be that fourth wall, you, you, you wouldn't 
have been able to kind of interrupt the scene or anything like that. Yeah. That was really against something that we were trying to yeah. create. Yeah the, yeah. yeah, the unity of time went up being probably the, the strictest one of, of, of all theatrical elements in, in immersive. Like, there's all these things you can do, but the time factor, like, verisimilitude just demands that the action unfolds, you know, in real time because you are you are here yeah. in this moment. Like, exactly. Like, to, to accept... I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say that it's impossible to do a time leap forward or, or, or run things backwards, but that's... It's, it's so different to have people watch people jumping through time, you know, and by jumping through time, I just mean scene to scene, you know, things yeah. progressing. But it's so funny because, like, in... in some of the rules for theater, like back in, God, I'm failing my theater history right now. But uh, you know the 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 French, you know, post uh, Restoration England era, you know, the, there was the whole idea of basically that the the play needed to happen. The amount of time that the play unfolded in was the actual time, right? That mm-hmm. unity of time idea. Um, and I and I I just I don't know how to get an audience to be a willing participant in giving that up. Well, I think, I mean, especially if you're going to do it like we're doing it in a house where it is, that's one of the first things that I remember you and I talking about is like, uh, and and you kind of understanding what it was going to be. is like, okay, it's a house. It really, like, this is really this. Like, this is not representing something else. Yeah. You are really here. You're interacting with this object, with this place and everything. And that does make it really hard to do that. Like, in, in Then She Fell, for example you're moving into different spaces. It's not necessarily linear. It's not necessarily unity of time. It's not necessarily like the idea that all of these characters are in here in the same evening, but you move from one space into another and this space is different from that space and that space is different from this space. And well, what's, what's interesting there is like they're on tracks, right? And so the yeah. actors are, are experiencing uh, a loop, but you're you're not. You're just going one through, right? right? And the, the difference with Sleep No More is that yeah, there are three loops, but like that, it you know, there's there's no way to there's no way to jump ahead or or jump backwards. If you exactly. want to see something, if he's like, oh, I missed that thing, it's like okay, yeah. now go stand in a corner and wait <laughs> till it happens again, right? Like you know, it's still it's it's. Sleep No More is like watching the same movie three times in a row, yeah. right? Because like I missed that part, I gotta go watch it again. Yeah. Um, so and and I mean you've you've had the luxury of always having this house to play in, right? Like that's that's a that's a big. It's a blessing. Yeah. Big. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <it is>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was. Yeah, much much easier because of that. I mean, I and I certainly know other companies that have had to you know just kind of like jump into the final space a couple weeks before opening and get used to actually what it's yeah (laughs) Yeah. get used to what that's actually going to be like once they've you know been just kind of rehearsing in a a black box or whatever and yeah i mean we all of us in the cast got to be intimately familiar with the house over the course of rehearsal and everything and i think that makes a huge difference in just how oh yeah absolutely and especially for the characters who you know were like grew grew up here um they they kind of got familiar with the space and they got to like know the nuances of it i mean there's a cat door in the back they get to come up with a story about that and um, become really really intimate with the space yeah yeah and i mean so much of you know 
again, like especially when you're in this small house space, if there's anything that we're doing in the show that feels like choreography or feels like, oh, we're, you know, trying to like move from here to here in a smooth way, like the audience is going to spot that right away if we're not, you know, completely at ease in the space. So I think, I mean, that's, that's so much of what we tried to do is just make everything feel completely seamless and organic. And there, again, there are some shows where you put up with that, where you say, okay, I know this is choreography, but I'm going along with it. It's fine. There's, you know, that's been established. That's part of this. But uh, in our show, it's like everything just has to feel completely organic. And a lot of that is us being comfortable in it. How much does this place start to feel like a second home? because of how much time you spend here. I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, it's like I I always love seeing people walk in and I mean, I'm I'm not in the show when people when the audience first walks in, but I am watching. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Um, and I love watching people's reactions to walking into the house for the first time because it is like so old hat to me. It's like, yeah, this is, you know, I mean, uh my wife Alexis and I did a lot of work to make it the way it is and everything, but I mean, yeah. So it's, people very it's, like, it's, it's fully but, it's fully seventies theme, but not yeah. like not not in an aggressive like cliche way, but in a it feels a ten- like a house. Yeah, yeah. it feels like somebody's home. Yeah, exactly. You know, it feels like my home. I don't I don't think I've even <laughs> spent as much time here as, as Nick has, obviously. And I think for everybody in the casting crew, like it's so comfortable here. Like I think any of us would Yeah. <laughs> we just come here and it really is our second home. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean we rehearsed here, we sat on the couch and goofed around and everything and um but yeah, it's uh the uh it's it's funny that you say that about it not being, you know, overdone and everything because like that was definitely like kind of a, a point of contention between me and Alexis who was really the production designer it was like I kept wanting it to be more cheesy and more garish and she was like no 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 we can still we can do that and still make it tasteful we can make it <laughs> 70s and still I was like I don't know how and she was like no 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 we, we will do it and she did it yeah she did it because it's like there's there's the Hollywood version of what a place in the 70s look like uh, and then there's like and, and mind you, we're in Los Angeles. And then there's like the Scorsese, you know, version yeah. of a place. And this is a lot, this feels a lot more Scorsese, a lot more. Well, that's a high compliment. A, a lot more, a lot more like a photograph, you know, mm-hmm. of someone's actual, like, you know, their grandparents' place. Well, like, and that's, yeah. yeah, and that's what's so different about this to compared to an actual movie is in a movie, sometimes you do have to be like a little more on the nose about showing stuff because you are just seeing it. And here you're touching it, you're interacting with it, you're in the space. So if it, if it rings too over the top and you know too like trying to evoke something then that's you know yeah and to their credit Nick and and Alexis spent a lot of time finding real 70s things to to put everywhere I went to an estate like three estate sales at least every weekend from like October through uh September of this year pretty much to find everything here and it was I actually enjoyed that a lot. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you, I remember as part of the process of this show, you guys did like a house party test at one point just to like see what it was like to have people in the space. And then you did you did a pretty early test run and then had another month. How, mm-hmm. how much time from casting people to opening did you give yourself? How long so was this we ca- I think we we did casting in like the beginning of July, I want to say. So we had July, August. So we basically had about three months before we did our test shows. We did those at the end of September, 
um, and then another month before. I, I would say two months of that was just playing around. Oh yeah, like I like that wasn't even like rehearsal time or anything. It was just that playing was the around and just kind of yeah. everybody <laughs> kind of doing studying on their characters and any inspiration that we wanted to bring to the show. And then there was really only before our first preview a couple weeks of rehearsal mm. since we had that final script to actually showing it to somebody. We put that together in about two weeks. So. Um, yeah, I was, was I was given I was given the order to <laughs> to produce a final script um, at the like end of August, I think. Um, and after having a mild heart attack, he yeah, he uh, made it happen, and, <laughs> and it was um, actually very close to what we ended up working with. So yeah, um, but yeah, there was there was that just time of just swimming around in the uncertainty of what is this going to be, and you know. You show up to rehearsal today. Well, I don't necessarily know what we're going to do. We're going to talk. We're going to get to some interesting stuff, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But um, there were, yeah. The... I mean, you, you were working with a lot of folks who, who, who work a lot. So, I mean, how many, how many nights a week were you rehearsing, uh, either in little bits or, or as, as whole? Because, I mean, the structure of the show means you get to have you know, times where it's, you're just working with one person, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So We did... Um, we did about, we did usually three to four rehearsals a week. Okay. Um, usually. A few hours each. Yeah, like like two, two and a half, three hours. Um, usually on either one or both weekend mornings and then like one or two even uh, weekend, weekday evenings. And uh, and then I did, I, I did one one-on-one rehearsal with each actor to just get into more depth about each of their, uh, of their scenes and characters and all that stuff yeah more often than not though it was actually the whole group together yeah when you when you came around and did that weekend of of tests Mm -hmm. how and you you in so many ways you got so lucky because you you managed to get a lot of the veterans of the la scene in for like yeah i got every uh, yeah uh, (laughs) i mean everyone whose shows i loved it was it was a double-edged sword it was it was fantastic and then once i was actually getting notes from all of them it was like oh my god (laughs) so so how much of an impact did that have um because i think that's a process that's part of the process that like not everyone has gotten the luxury of having is is turning to to that group um, and no one's and oftentimes because like the the time scale of people are working on because you had another month before you opened right so I think I think a lot of them would be curious as to like how much that influenced things. Well, I mean, I was ready to kind of drastically revise things after those shows, but then I realized that like even even with that month, we still needed to give the new material to the actors, rehearse get everything 100% down before the show started. So I, I didn't want to change too, too much. Um, I think we got... I mean, the great thing about feedback is you can pick and choose what you're going to actually incorporate. And I think everyone had great feedback to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I don't think anyone really had the attitude of, like, none of this works, this needs to be gutted from the beginning. It was just like, we enjoyed this, here's what you could do to improve it. And so that was that was definitely reassuring, because I didn't... I, I felt like we were starting from a pretty good place, but yeah, there was definitely... Said page one rewrite. Yeah, yeah, and it was really interesting, because there was, there was the night that you came to, and then mm-hmm. there was the second night, and I think the night that 
the first night that you came to was a lot about a lot of the feedback was about player experience mm-hmm. and how can we you know bring the audience in more and everything. And then the second night where we had like um, what well, we had like Annie, Speakeasy Society, Lauren Ludwig, like uh, I think maybe John Braver that night too. The John um, was ours. Oh, he was your night. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, the second night was much more about like script and narrative. Mm-hmm. So it was great to get both of those pieces of feedback kind of separately um, and, uh, and figure out how to incorporate that. And then we also had, um, we had Jenny Weinblum as a consultant who was kind of separately giving us uh, feedback and notes and everything. So between all that, uh, I, you know... I, I feel like, out kind yeah, of, yeah. I, I feel like it was like clearly extremely valuable, and I think on some level, in my head at least, I was thinking I was like, I wish we had even more time because the the feedback was so so valuable that like like there was like some things where it's like yeah we could add this and this and this and it was like there was so much that we could have done with it and I think in the end we ended up having to we like needing to just pick and choose like Nick said on the things that we would be able to give the actors and then rehearse again and everything um, without without dramatically changing what we had already created. Yeah, so I think it was really, it was really more... Um, I don't think we removed anything. I think we just kind of added some stuff to... There was... There were definitely... And even I could feel that um, performing the show, that there were... There was space... Yeah. There were times when it just felt like, okay, there's some space here where not that much is happening. And depending on, I mean, of course, when you have an awesome audience of immersive veterans who all know each other, that's one kind of energy in the room. And that will kind of fill whatever space you need. But if you have an audience full of strangers who don't know each other, and then you have that space, then that might end up being a dead spot in the show. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely there's definitely a, a difference between a group that knows each other mm-hmm. and a group because yeah. that was one of the things like that first test, you know, we all knew each other, so it was just yeah. like right, right. You know, you know, the, the show could have like just not happened. We just like, oh, <laughs> exactly, yeah, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. everybody yeah. had a good time. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no one, Tommy, are just drinking in the corner. They're fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, like no one. Needs, every, yeah, it was just like oh, it's a lay meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Um, but, but what I thought was really interesting was was coming in at the end of the run, right? Because I got to see that first test. and then come, Yeah, and then come, you got to see about a month in or yeah. a few, couple weeks in, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it was like late November. It was even like the top of December, I think. So it was like, oh, was it? Okay, it was yeah, your, yeah, like your last weekend, okay. I think. And it was so interesting to me to see, because that was like six to eight weeks later, that the, the show that I had seen was still there. It was just that you know some of the some of the parts have sort of like marinated and yeah, and, sure. and, and there'd been a little bit of like reduction, like things have like cooked down a bit, and things things that hadn't worked that first night, and nothing should be flawless on the first night. <laughs> or you've done something terribly wrong, probably. <laughs> yeah, um, you didn't try enough. Really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you, you no. aim too low if that's oh, the case. Yeah, honestly, oh, don't get me started on that <laughs> topic. It's going to lead somewhere. Um, the. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if it's if it's just if it just feels like super smooth, then then yeah, you did aim too low, but everything was still there. It was just like humming in a way that it hadn't, and I and I was like, I I could tell that some of it was through like trims and mm-hmm. adjustments, and some of it was just that the actors had lived in the roles long enough that yeah. it, that it, that dynamic had really started to. Yeah, and that's what I really like. I mean, 
it was my first time directing uh, theater, so I there were I, I definitely tried not to like overdo it in terms of like giving actors notes, but there was also part of me that like I think understood when I was watching some of the performances. I was like, this is gonna be fine once you're used to it. It's not like I need to like tell you how to do this. You're just gonna keep doing it, and you're gonna get more comfortable with it, and it's gonna be great. And I think that's how everything yeah. ended up being. Yeah, I mean, so much in directing actors in this in this form in particular is because, particularly when it's a one-on-one, each scene is going to be different with, you know, who the guest is, who the the patron, and what they're giving back. Because if the actor's just providing the exact same performance every time, then the emotional agency of the scene doesn't exist. And and, and this... Then it's sleep no more. Yeah, I mean, you know, truth be told, right? I mean, and, and what Sleep No More has going for it is all the, all the traversal and all the the, the, the beauty of what's happening and yeah. like the choreography and like you know it's but it is definitely but more they're not sp- they're not tailoring the scene to you in any way. They're, yeah, they're doing it the way that they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, and you observe because yeah. there's, there's no there's no time for it. And like the yeah. the one on ones might have like a little maybe like a little bit of right. emotional agency, but like even then, like it's such a it's such a heightened reality that like it's kind of hard. It doesn't invite you in, and the mask definitely yeah. prevents you from that. But yeah, I mean, our show absolutely dictates that that we have to be prepared for it to be a different show depending on what the audience is on a yeah. given night, and that's well, scary. and, that's and especially because. Part of what we wanted when deciding that we wanted it to feel like something that was actually happening was that people could respond to something in any way that they felt like it. Um, so people would be interrupting people when they have a, a monologue, you know, and they would have to somehow kind of navigate a way around that and yeah. still still carry out the goal that they had set for the scene or or move on to the next part and everything. And, and I think there were some interesting things that ended up popping up from that. <laughs> Well, I mean, every, yeah, I mean, every, I think on any given night, anyone might like, you know, uh, now, now Katie, who plays Sharon, who's mm-hmm. like the hostess, she has probably like, based on who her people are that night, probably has like the most variability in terms of, because like there, I mean, not to give too much away, but basically all of, she doesn't she almost doesn't get any scenes that take place in a closed space. Almost mm-hmm. everything that she does takes place in the open. So there's a lot of like responding to the environment and res- like getting interrupted, having to get through her scenes, you know, smoothly, but people are, you know, either behaving or not behaving and everything. And then, uh, and then for the rest of us, there's still a lot of like, you know, we don't know what people are going to say in the one-on-one. We don't know what people are going to say uh, in other scenes. And, Sometimes they might ask us a lot of questions. Sometimes they might be giving us nothing, and that's even harder in a way. <laughs> but it's yeah. just like, okay, what what do I have to do to get a reaction out of yeah. you? <laughs> well, well, that's there's there's something there. I mean, would you say that the what percentage would you say of people sort of just freeze or or just don't know that they have that kind of agency? Because that's say it's actually pretty rare. And okay. even even we've I think we had a lot of people coming to the show that had never been too immersive before. And even people who it was their first time, I think, got into the groove of like, okay, this is what I can do. I can talk to you. I can respond. Um, and there were there were definitely a couple of nights where we were like, oh, people people just were not comfortable 
engaging that night. Mm. And I don't know what it was. And I mean, so, certainly there's like a group energy that gets created among yeah. the audience. And like, if enough people are kind of skittish or uncomfortable, that can kind of affect things. And if and on the flip side, if enough people are just rambunctious and like, I'm gonna just get <laughs> drunk and do whatever I want tonight, then like that kind of creates that vibe among everyone. But um, but for the most part, we had, we just had really great responsive reactive audiences that like kind of intuitively understood like what their role in the show was and they have a huge role in the show sometimes it takes someone setting the model right i mean that's one of the things we just form like i've i've been to shows where even when it's just like physical agency i mean i remember early on seeing uh in the first year of the the first run of the day shall declare it and watching people like even though the performers were moving around the space, the audience kept naturally forming uh, a proscenium for them. They, right. they would create like a line. And it's or like, a circle. Or yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, we're going to do it. And it's like, oh, yeah. no. And like it, it took it took having to, I remember I, I saw it twice that first year and the first time, like, it, no one was, was, was taking over the room. So I was like, fine. Like I crossed over in order to like, you know, create more space and then people start yeah. filling in and then the second time everyone they all did the same thing again but I was like oh, I'm not gonna go to the other side of the room because that's where I saw it from last time yeah. so it's just like the hell with you guys like yeah. I was just like, waiting here and you could have a terrible experience because everyone was just like glommed up um well, that's what we found in that uh, the the little test party thing that we did, yeah. which definitely yeah. like applied to like every show. It's like nobody ever wants to be on the couches. <laughs> what is the deal? Like everyone just hovers around the snack table and because like, it's a small party, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. which ended up being the case in the real show as well. It did, and, yeah. and it was something that we had to kind of create like solutions for, like, well, how can we get them to use the whole space? And, yeah. Um, you guys have been to parties, you know, everyone, if it's a party it's of a certain yeah. size, everyone yeah. just hangs out in the kitchen. Yeah. People just want to hang out in a kitchen, yeah. which is why when I finally open my party venue, it's just going to be a series <laughs> of kitchens. <laughs> There's going to be food everywhere. Food everywhere, like yeah. six or seven different ranges and different, and I mean, I different rooms, but each room a kitchen, which will confuse people greatly. Also, awesome. tiny <laughs> bathrooms to be able to create lots of lines. So. That's what you want. The bathroom line is key. Yeah. Um. The kitchen queue is what I'm calling the space. It's going to be I wonderful. Like yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, and then, uh, kitchen spelled Q I T C H. Yeah, right, yeah, the right. kitchen Q. The kitchen, yeah. yeah, got it. Oh, good. Yeah, let's do. Yeah, yes. we're taking. We're gonna crowdfund. Um, we're gonna crowd invest. Q R O U D. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've you you saw a show. You saw some shows. You decided you want to do this. You went out. You did it. Do you still have the taste? Yeah, I mean. Well, the first thing that I realized, like, as the show was ending was, well, I got to do this again. I, I'm, I'm going to miss everybody too horribly if I let them just scatter to the winds. So um, that was that was kind of like the, you know, triage of like, okay, well, this is this is the first thing I need to do just to maintain sanity is to make sure that I'm get everyone back to do this thing again. But now that I'm doing it, it's like, okay, well, what what is the next thing? And Lindsay and I have started talking about that and about more ideas in this vein. I definitely have other ideas in, you know, that are completely different. Um, I think what I've kind of like January is always kind of my like creative clearing the cobwebs month and figuring out like, what is this year of creating going to be? And I do feel like I really like this, what made this show amazing is how big of a challenge it was and how much it was just like, well, I'm, you know, 
I'm just going to grab a bunch of people and we're going to wander into this deep end of the pool and, and see how it goes. And, and, uh, and I think now I'm a little bit addicted to that. Uh, I think like I, I can conceive of other shows that would, you know, be quite doable based on what we've now done, but I kind of want to try something uh, that again feels just as difficult and unfamiliar. <laughs> yeah, because this was ambitious, and then it's yeah. like, well, how can we be even more ambitious? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or at least ambitious in different ways. Right. But um, sorry, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I think uh, what's so great about doing this kind of medium is that it's there is no model like it's going to be so different every time Mm. and i uh you know i want to work with all these actors again they're all fantastic they're i think i i think i assembled one of the best teams of immersive actors in the business so that's one of the things i'm most proud of doing in this entire show but um i i really want to find different ways of exploring the the medium and uh and yeah, and ways of, of challenging us all and 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 getting to that. I mean, there is just something incredible about like being we we were at stages where we were like we don't know if this is going to be good, we don't know if this is going to be anything, mm-hmm. and then arriving at a point of it being, you know, it's 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 our first show. It's not the greatest show in history, but I think we did pretty good. And I, it's crowd pleaser. And I think I mean, the audience it's definitely been. And a I think the audience has all really responded well and. Uh, you know, now I, I yeah, I just want to. Yeah, and I think moving forward, something. Again. <laughs> yeah, be, I think moving forward, something that's really exciting is that now we kind of have this platform to kind of explore some of the different techniques that immersive uses. Like we really kind of focused again on on creating something that felt very real, and like now, like there's so many other things that we can try out now that we have this really strong narrative that we're kind of building off of. Like, so much yeah. of that work is done, now we can focus on some of the artistic aspect of it, even. Yeah. And just kind of experiment with different... I mean, we're already kind of talking about... Uh, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to do in this show that we, like, ultimately just weren't able to because it just was beyond the scope of what we could do in the amount of time that we had was create more variation based on audience choice that mm-hmm. would actually affect the outcome of the story. Um, and just because of the number of tracks we have and everything and the number of scenes, like it just, there, there just wasn't a good way of doing that, that was still going to deliver a satisfactory narrative. But that's, I feel like that's kind of the next frontier for us is figuring out like how, if you are, if I give you a task and you succeed at it or you fail at it, those are two completely different outcomes to the story that branches off in different ways. You can make a choice here. It really affects things. And I think like that's, I think, I mean, honestly, I think that's, that ends up being fairly rare in immersive in general. The I feel like the the choice model usually leads to one of two things: either you are ultimately corralled into a certain outcome, no matter what mm-hmm. choice you make, or you have the possibility to make a choice that will uh, that will basically give you a less good experience because that wasn't necessarily the choice that was you know that was planned for you or that was uh, you know like 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 with Sleep No More for example, I. What frustrates me about Sleep No More is I'm bad at Sleep No More. <laughs> I don't know how to see the parts of the story that make me understand the story. Right. And I've seen it twice now, still have no idea what happened. And I, you know, I have full agency. I can go anywhere. That's great. But I, 
I sometimes wish I was a little bit more guided towards right. the things that would actually like give me a complete narrative experience. So it's kind of like finding the the line between those things where it's like you know m- like more like a really well done video game where it's like okay you can do this or you can do that and this is you know this is a completely valid outcome this is a completely valid outcome this yeah. is a completely valid outcome we've you know crafted well, them all and that's one of the things that's really interesting to me in this space right now is you know I, I saw did you get a chance to see Cecil's Fun's Agnosia? She saw I it. did you yeah. saw it are you gonna get a chance to see uh, it? Or? hopefully I would like to yeah. I don't. Did you get a ticket yet, or like if no. there's like two tickets? So I, I, I might be. All right. So I mean, she I don't want to tell me all about it. Oh, yeah. she told me about it. Okay, yeah. good. So um, this this airs. There's only two more slots yet. So like, close your ears if you haven't seen. <laughs> um, but there's there's a little bit of a choice mechanic in there, mm-hmm. uh, and it and what's what's interesting mm-hmm. about it is that it it unlocks different paths, kinda mm-hmm. right. Like it doesn't. It doesn't lead to these massive branching, mm-hmm. uh, but there's definitely a bit of a of a binary branching. But neither one, neither goes off theme, mm-hmm. right? You still you still wind up on theme. You still wind up getting uh, a version of the story, right? Because there's 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 yeah, it was rather clever. I yeah. thought. I yeah. thought, yeah. Yeah, it's it's clever and it's and it, and winds up being really kind of beautiful because at, at the mm-hmm. beginning of it, like you don't even realize. I didn't at first realize that I was being given a choice. Like I was being given a choice, but there was just enough ambiguity that I was like, oh, I'm trying to. And then, right quickly, it's like, oh no, that was trying to catch on. And I was yeah. like, oh, that was a choice. I just I just made a choice. Right. And then they keep coming back to it. And it was just one mechanic that they kept coming back to, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like, and then you, you start to feel like you have a bit of control mm-hmm. over what's happening. Even if you don't necessarily know what the consequences are going to be, you mm-hmm. know that you're making some kind of choice. And right. that's something that I think a lot of um, a lot of people who are playing with choice sort of don't don't give it time to develop that way, to give, mm-hmm. to give the people right. who are playing it an understanding of, of how their agency works. Yeah, I mean, you you have to teach them to play the game. Yeah, um, and 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 I, from what I understand, this show it's a fairly short show, so yeah. the the choice element is able to be incorporated in a way that well, you it's it's easier to foresee, you know, uh, I assume as the creator, all of the ways that that's going to affect the yeah. outcome of the story. I mean, well, I think what was so clever yeah. about it was that I don't I don't think like, you know, some something that gets really complex about like. Like saying like, oh, we want to be able to give them a choice that's going to affect an outcome mm-hmm. is that sometimes that seems like such a such a burden as the creator yeah. because you're like, well, if they make this choice, then I have to write an entirely other narrative right. for, for if yeah. that were if they were to make this choice versus this one. And then yeah. if we not only do that, but we have it branch off again, like it just seems yeah. like such a massive task. And I think what was very clever about the way that they they did it was that it would it would possibly like affect the next scene yeah. like the way that like a, a small part of small part of the outcome it was like without it channels. affecting the overall yeah it was thing. like it was like flipping channels or like like you know there was that period of time with DVDs where they they let you do like they thought this was going to be the future oh that was the, the way they were selling the DVDs it was yeah like alternate angles and yeah, exactly so it's like it's, <laughs> yeah. alter, it's alternate angles like, yeah. it's alternate emotional angles yeah. on a scene so it's like the next scene's going to be about blank and it's either this coloration or that coloration, and like that's yeah. that's sort of it, you know. And there's there's just just enough. So like at each choice point, there were maybe there was one of two things you could have seen. Yeah. So and there were I think like three choice points. So instead of 
instead of making three scenes, you made they made six scenes. As right. opposed to, well, this choice leads to that choice. Instead, of, so instead of being branching, because if it had been yeah. branching, that would have been like, well, we had to create nine. Right, which is which know, is at yeah. least in the past for for me at least how I always imagined that needing to work is creating yeah. all these branching storylines. Yeah. Which again is such such a burdensome. Well, especially <laughs> like, I mean, our show is two and a half hours long, so yeah. Yeah. you're gonna wind up with a lot of you know uh, points where it's like, well, okay, the, I mean, it's it's such a domino effect. It's like, well, how does and especially like if you know if because there are five different tracks, like if you make a choice on your track, like how do I like do I either make it only affect your track or do I make it affect my track as well right. and this other person's track and so forth. So I think ultimately, like kind of the compromise that we that we came to, which again is great because we have great actors, is you know, I think there are a lot of micro choices possible in mm. our show. There's a lot of choices, like just how you behave in any given scene. Yeah. And I mean, and and Caitlin and Terrence and Jennifer are all, and and Katie are all, you know, and I'm very slowly learning <laughs> are all great at responding very organically to how the audience member is yeah. is, is treating them well, cause, and cause, not just kind of staying on script but like yeah like giving it emotional shading so. well and you've got two you've got two dynamics you're working with because there's the dynamic amongst the characters and that's what you get to control is that the characters relationships to each other are a thing that's going to play out you know no matter how much Aside from maybe burning the house down, how much the the audience impacts yeah. because mm-hmm. they have stronger bonds to each other than they do to the audience. Right. But then you, at the same time, you get to play authentically with the audience. And if if there's a member of the audience who's been a jerk to one character all night long, there's yeah. no reason why that character would treat them as anything other than a jerk. Right? Yeah. There's no there's no reason for them to suddenly go, oh, I. I have to be nice to you in this moment because it's the part of the script where I'm supposed to be nice to everybody, yeah. right? You know, and and that reminds me a lot of just the way the Telltale games, you know, not exactly how they work this kind of agency, but they've evolved to the point where you know they, you know, the choices you make often they're not necessarily affecting the macro of the story. The story is going to keep on rolling the way it does, but it affects how the characters play off of you. Mm-hmm. And it, it might open up certain, you know, right. or close down, you know, certain branches, but the story wants to go where the story goes. It's usually a question of, well, either this person's dead or that person's dead, but someone's definitely going to die. Or it can be just, you know, by the end of the game, this character hates you. Yeah, you know, and that's something an actor can definitely play. Uh, you know, a lot easier than it being dictated by the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, it was it was interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned that because for doing the the second run, I went to I met with every actor individually and I said, okay, is there is there more stuff, more material you would like me to generate for you for for this round? And some people wanted specific things. Um, some people you know, didn't really need stuff. And like, I, I, not to give too much away, but one person did specifically request, like, is there a version of this scene that I can do when people are really being jerks? <laughs> <laughs> so I created that. <laughs> and, um, because we've definitely had that where it's like, Oh, you know, you can like, you can feel there should be a difference in this scene because the audience is just not behaving at all. And it would be great to have, you know, something in the chamber for, 
responding to that. Yeah. Um, well, now that's not an invitation if you've seen the show to come and be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, please not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but know that if if you're not a listener to the show and someone <laughs> someone's being a jerk, then yeah, they're gonna get what they deserve. They're yeah, and you and, and and yeah, be the, nice. and the person who will deploy this knows how to deploy. This <laughs> oh boy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of. Uh, there is a lot, and and then there's there's Carly who has this you know completely open ended kind of roaming role where she gets to like so much choice in how to interact with with everybody, and that's that can always be very different you know depending on on who it is and and stuff, and uh, that's uh, that's a fun part of the show, but yeah, it's a lot of a lot of variation there. So this is going to go up February second. Is there anything you can tell us about this upcoming run? Uh, well, if you if you saw it the previous time, mm-hmm. as I said, there are five tracks. There, um, I, if I'm doing the math right, there are at least four new scenes that you'll get doing any new track. So I think that's I think it's worth seeing it again if you have already seen it. Um, and if you've not, please spread the word. It's going to be just as good as last time, hopefully better. We've got a few mm-hmm. new tweaks and stuff. Um, still got this great house. Still got great actors and uh, and when when you go when's the run going to be when you go uh, we're going to we're starting March first uh, we're doing so we're doing another sixteen shows we did sixteen shows last time um, March this time has five weekends so we're going to do two weekends on one weekend off and then another two weekends so it'll be the first two weekends and the last two weekends in March Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday eight p.m. be there or be square as Connie would say nice all right well thank you both and uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Noah. Once again, want to thank Nick Reinwald Jones and Lindsay Scoggin for being our guests on the show today. If you are entranced and want to check out Safe House 77, Check out safehouse77.com. That's where all the ticket information is going to be when they start dropping that. And keep your eyes peeled on everything immersive and the no pro Slack and the no pro Twitter feed and the this and the that uh, to, to see when that information starts rolling out. All right. Um, this is actually the take two. Uh, of of the end of the show rant because uh, it, it it went off in a way that I I did not want it to go so uh, you're not getting the original version of this sorry you didn't want it uh, the coffee is working though I wanted to talk a little bit about the Leia Town Hall uh, which was amazing um, we had no idea if we were going to have 15 people or 150 looks like we got about 100 people showing up on a Monday night there at Western Santa Monica at Thymeli. Arts. Thank you, John, for letting us host it there. Um, and it was a wonderful cross-section of folks from immersive theater, virtual reality, the haunt community, escape rooms. And that's exactly what a Leia meeting should look like. All right. Leia exists to advance the concerns of creators and producers of experiential and immersive work. That's it. Full stop. Doesn't matter what the genre is. Um, you know, that's, that's not our concern. Uh, our concern is the common issues that everyone who's working in this field, whether it's physical or digital face, all right, there are a lot of active battles that we're engaged in at the moment. We've, you know, inherited this permit fight, um, and inherited the wrong term. 
uh, the, the permit issue is just something that we've been dealing with before there even was a Leia as a community. And now we're expanding beyond that. If you want to be part of Leia, there's a really simple formula. Membership is service and service is membership. All right. The Leia that we create. And right now it's still mostly a dream, a dream with a few committees. The Leia that we create is based on the concerns of the community and the community are the people who are willing to do something about the concerns. All right. One thing that didn't happen at the end of the town hall, the formal part that was my oversight is I didn't make it clear what the exact next step was. All right. Here's the exact next step. If you want to be involved, here's what we want to know. All right. And we're going to lay out like a formal survey of this, but you can always email us at contact at Leia.design. That's contact at L-E-I-A dot design. That's the email. And this is what we want to know. What are the issues that you're concerned with that are facing you as a creator or a producer? And by creator, we mean designer, actor, director, writer, technician. All right. And producer, we mean producer, you know, producer is right. What are the pain points that you have and that you want to see addressed? And what special skills do you possess that can help either with those or with other issues that the community is facing? That's it. We're building a database out. We're also opening like a contact sheet for folks who want to be actively part of Leia, putting that in there. Um, and that's going to be something that members are going to be able to access. So you want to, you know, network because we know that's part of it, but we're not just a meetup group that's there for people to network and try and like get to know each other. We are, we've got the committees and the committees right now are the safety and practices committee, permitting committee, outreach committee events committee, and then there's the founder circle. Um, and they are all, you know, tasked with covering certain issues that are of concern to the community that we've been able to identify so far, but we're only going to be effective if folks identify the pain points for us. And if enough people do that, then we're going to be able to, as a group say, you know what? A lot of people are talking to us about issue X. Let's try and do something about issue X. Now we're running on crowdsourcing right now, crowdsourcing information and crowdsourcing our efforts. So when folks bring us something, it doesn't mean that there's going to be a position paper the next day. All right. Five years from now, maybe sooner, that may be the kind of organization we evolve into at the moment where we stand out of sheer necessity is someone brings us something, we take a hard look at it, we try and figure out, is this something that the committees can tackle? Is it something that we need to spin up a special effort on? Or is it merely something that we're going to be able to provide a platform for people to talk about it? All right. Those are the things that we can do right now because we got no money. (laughs) We've just got each other. 
But in this day and age, each other feels like all we really do have. All right? But I just wanted to make it clear as possible right now, as we're in year zero of this, what Leia can and can't do and what it is for. All right? Now, don't take that as discouragement. Don't say like, oh, you guys can't do anything. No. What we can do is we can team up, right? So if together we know there's a problem and if together we knock our heads and look at what it is we can do, right? So this only works if we're talking with each other and this only works if folks are willing to serve we're we've got the committees spun up there'll be more committees in the future uh, and in the interim there's there'll be task forces that address specific things so you don't have to sit on a committee full-time to be an active member um, we simply because there's no way in hell that the folks who are on the committees uh, can take care of all the issues on their own um, that's just not how this is going to wind up working um, and I feel pretty confident in saying that, um, which is why we're, we're looking at, you know, having there be adjunct members to committees and advisors and folks who are working on very specific issues because the thing we can do most of all is, and as an organization is try and break down the issues into bite-sized chunks so that the kind of thing that one person could never tackle on their own, right? Break that thing down into something that three people can move forward. That's the running plan. And the great thing is, is it's working. We went from about a year ago, knowing we were going to have issues with permits, right? Like anticipating that. And while we were seeing them evolve, we managed to get a meeting with the city of Los Angeles before the year was through. The issues are still there. And that road is, is, is long, right? We're dealing with city bureaucracies and we're dealing with laws that weren't designed to handle this kind of work. And that's just one of the issues that as a community we're facing. And anyone who's doing this work, you know that so many of these things are interrelated. People just don't know what this work is. And if they don't know what this work is, they definitely can't have a legal structure or an institutional structure that accommodates it. That's our chief thing as advocates to do, is to educate and advocate for the expansion of this work. And we will do that as best as we humanly can. And there's some really cool humans involved. So again, membership is service and service is membership. Please bring us your pain points and let us know how you think you can help. Contact at Leia.design. And one more thing that I said in the previous version of this rant that I didn't say at the top of this. Leia is not a no-pro project, right? Leia is a project that Noah Nelson spends a lot of time on, much the same way that the Immersive Design Summit, uh, which we had a meeting for the second one last week, uh, is a project that I spent a lot of time on. So just keeping those those things clear here, all right? 
I do have my fingers in a lot of pies and I do need all of your support. I am the weird shaman at the edge of town. Uh, please bring your, your offerings to me. Um, because, uh, I'd like to be unleashed full time on all this work. Uh, that's, that's, that's my personal goal for the year. Um, but just so you know, um, we're, we're not, um, yeah, this is, this, this is not, I'll talk about a lot on the NoPro podcast, but, uh, those, those structures are, are separate. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we're doing things as ethically as possible. Um, this is what happens when you, uh, when you grow up in the Jedi religion. All right. You don't want to miss, you don't want to meet Sith Noah. Or maybe you do. Okay. Enough of that. You can find him at Cloak and Dagger. Um, what's going on? Hey there. We're going to have a great year. It's not always going to be an easy year, but it's going to be a great year. It's going to be historic. And I think on the balance, it's going to be a good history and not a year of lamentation. And I don't say that lightly because my own January was very, very rocky landing. And maybe it's just the coffee talking and maybe it really is. But I look out there and I see the amount of work that's going on and I see the passion and I see the resolve and I am bolstered by that. And you are what keep me going. And I just need you to know that. So whether you're out there, an independent escape room owner, whether you're planning already your haunt in October for somewhere deep in Burbank where no one knows where it is. I'm, I'm making that up. I'm not saying someone's doing that. Please don't start looking for an ARG. Um, if you're experimenting with alternate reality experiences, if you are making your first immersive theater piece somewhere in Duluth, if you are deciding that you want to work with actors who've done this stuff theatrically for your motion next motion capture gig. Uh, if you are a producer with deep pockets who is saying, you know what? It's time. Just know your actions sustain me emotionally to keep on going. I just made it sound like a codependent relationship. Oops. It is. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Thank you all for doing what you do. You keep doing it, and I'll keep doing this. No Versinium is brought to you by our lovely, lovely Patreon backers. They take care of the cash part of it, which is like a real deal. Our sustaining backers, as always, are the following amazing human beings as I look at the list. Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, Yan Budman, Arthur Tubman, and Ari Herstand. Oh, and Lonnie Hanson. The list is out of order. I always like saying Lonnie's name last. I could, I could change the order, but I just like saying his name last. Um, I like to end on the button. I like, I like regularity. Some little bits of ritual here, folks. Just a little tiny bit to make the world seem like it makes sense. The music for Novercinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Thank you again, Chris. 
but we need to talk. Uh, the logo of No Pristinium is by Dino Nama of uh, Think Tank Gallery, uh, who I never shout out, who I should. I love our logo. Well, I need to do more stuff with that. Uh, I'm in a building mode today. All right. That's the game. That's the whole thing. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>